construction, golf news, equipment, travel, interviews, course profiles, and more. Your weekly fix of all things golf is about to begin. It's the Flagstick Podcast with your hosts, Jeff Bonner and Scott McLeod. Well, welcome golfers to another episode of the Flagstick Podcast brought to you by TaylorMade Golf Canada, introducing Stealth with Carbon Face for better energy transfer and more ball speed. Welcome to the Carbonwood Age. To learn more, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Well, I am one of your hosts, Jeff Botter, and with me in every podcast is my good friend, Scott McLeod. How are you today, Scott? I'm doing okay, man. I'm doing okay. Looking awesome. forward to uh, today and what we have in store for our listeners and viewers. Yeah, I, I I look forward to this every week now. It just It's one of those things, you know, Sunday night, you know, we're looking over all of our notes of the things that we want to talk about and, you know, setting up the lay of the land for the show. And then I just, I really look forward to you know, getting started the following uh, the following day or within the next couple of days and, and getting started on the show. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to have the Monday morning or the Tuesday morning conversations and uh, and record them and play them for people. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been good. And, you know, certainly want to thank people for all the uh, the support uh, in the first uh, month, uh, you know, having uh, great ratings on uh, Chartable uh, and then obviously, uh, you know, seeing the uptake on, uh, you know, Apple podcasts, even Audible. That's kind yeah. of been a, a fun kind of thing there. And then, uh, you know, gradually building our uh, YouTube audience there as well. So, uh, yeah, I think people are enjoying the clips. Uh, I, I actually was playing golf on the weekend. And, and had a, yes, yes, <laughs> oh I was. And, Finally. Uh, finally one of us played yeah and i was standing by the first tee and i had a member came over and said hey i'm really enjoying the podcast so i was like oh okay that's that's great so it's nice to hear that feedback you you know you don't always expect that um but certainly they're enjoying it especially from the uh the regional and canadian content aspect of it that was particularly mentioned uh they're just really liking to hear some things that are a little bit more homegrown Awesome. So how was the, uh, was it, what, what day did you go out? Cause like, uh, I I'm going to, uh, shock you here and tell you, I played both Saturday and Sunday on wow. the weekend. Uh, just because I figured, you know what, when am I going to have a chance to play two days in a row uh, in the summer? <laughs> Chances are it's not going to happen. Uh, it was definitely a little moist, as okay. it, most golf courses are. And, uh, you know, a little, little bit soggy. First, uh, First game was a little rougher, let's say, but there were certainly some good highlights, uh, some good stuff as far as from the week. And uh, the cool part is, too, uh, you know what? I went and I put my name down uh, with a new member at our golf course, uh, okay. particularly knowing that he was a new member. And, uh, you know, we had some ties. I kind of knew who his sister was and stuff like that. Uh, but it gave me an opportunity to kind of welcome to the golf course, give him a sort of a lay of the land and stuff like that. And, and it made, made for a, a great game that way. And then uh, on Sunday, uh, I managed to play with uh, one of my students who happens to be a member over at the, the same golf course as well. Um, I don't teach there, but, uh, you know, we, we got out to, to play a game and that was a little bit more competitive, obviously playing with a, right. you know, a young guy that's a plus two and, and uh, headed to college in the fall. <laughs> you got to pull up uh, your socks and get after Yeah, it. Yeah, well, just focus a little more and you just feel a little bit more comfortable. I mean, that first day out and making those swings, it's different swinging indoors to going out doors mm-hmm. and especially on turf that's a little uneven and things like that i will tell you though by the time i was done sunday night my legs were whooped <laughs> like it just <laughs> i mean you think about that you know it, it's not really that long of a walk and you're used to doing it i mean i've golfed my whole life yeah but it's just getting back out there and doing that and not being used to it um yeah it was definitely an epsom salt 
bath cut at night after that one for sure. Well, walking 18 holes in the simulator certainly doesn't take as long, nor does no. it in, in, in create the same amount of muscle uh, wear and tear, does it? Yeah, walking uh, 10 feet to a screen is uh, not really the same. <laughs> so much. I did actually hit. Um, I did actually hit a bunch of balls in the net uh, on the weekend. So more than just a couple. All right. Uh, I did good. hit quite a few. Hit some wedges down to the down to the little par three uh, that yep. we have in the backyard there, and and it wasn't that bad. You're gonna be ready for a game bad. now. There now, was now a, you're gonna make a, some plans. You I know? know there was a couple off the hosel. Um, oh there's boy. no question. But I'm, oh you know, I'm known for that kind of thing with my wedges anyway. Anybody that's ever played around a golf with me knows that I'm good for one <clears> or two of those on a chip I, shot. I will say I did shank one on Saturday on the first round, but it was, it was more caused by, I went to hit this little chip next to the green and the guy I was playing with all of a sudden he was to the right of me and I didn't see him at all. And then all of a sudden I sort of was down looking at the golf ball or whatever, getting ready to chip. And then as soon as I took my last look and was starting to swing, he kind of walks right in almost right in front of me. So it was kind of like one of those little reaction things. And thankfully, a little hosel hopper just, you know, only went a couple of feet or whatever. And, you know, there was no harm, no foul or whatever. But, yeah, it was kind of disconcerting all of a sudden that, you know, he was in front of me. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I thought of you as soon as I had flashbacks of uh, river meat. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, look, you know, we've uh, we've got a um, we've got a really good show this week. Um, We have uh, some great discussions coming ahead on the front nine, uh, some regional news, uh, some some uh, discussion points and topics that I think people will be uh, interested to, to hear about things that we've have, we have up on flagstick.com right now. Um, we also have uh, on the back nine this week, we've got a really interesting discussion we're going to have about, about the brands, uh, golf brands and, and how they shape golfers uh, today. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's going to be a really interesting lesson for people, um, you know, that are tuning in. Uh, so, you know, don't, uh, don't go into the clubhouse after the front nine. Stick around for the back nine for sure. And of course, uh, Kevin Hames is going to be with us again, the Kevin Hames Golf School. And he's going to be talking with us a little bit about width of stance, uh, uh, kind of finding and figuring out what your width of stance in here. So that's uh, that's all this week uh, on on uh, the Flagstick Podcast. So, you know, let's get right into it, Scott. Uh, let's get into the front nine presented uh, by Metcalf Golf Course. Uh, looking for fun golf at a great rate. Say 15% when you prepay, visit Metcalf Golf com to book um all right scott let's dive into the front nine and um you know we had a few uh, we talked a little bit before we came on uh, on the podcast about uh, about the front nine stuff and and um uh, let's get into some of the news uh, a little more regionally and talk about the loyalist uh, loyalist college yeah, so uh, just got noticed this week that uh, Loyalist College down in, in Belleville is actually going to start a golf program, a, a varsity golf program. Uh, if people are not aware right now, there's uh, 10 schools in the OCAA that have varsity golf programs, and Loyalist has not had one. I will tell you, when I went to Loyalist 30 years ago, <laughs> I remember I remember uh, meeting with the athletic director. At that time, uh, golf was just sort of an exhibition sport, and they kind of had one tournament, and it wasn't really formal as far as the varsity sport and i can remember the uh the athletic director basically saying hey do you want to do you want to play golf for one event or do you want to play volleyball all season long and you know it was a bit of a volleyball school so i ended up uh playing volleyball but 
the uh, one of the guys that I met there uh, during those years was a guy named Jim Buck, who became the athletic director, and he's a bit of a golfer as well. So he's the guy who's been sort of looking forward to having a golf program at Loyalist. So what they're doing is uh, they've got a coach, Mark Ray, uh, who's a local guy who used to be the basketball coach there, but is heavily involved with golf. And uh, so he's going to head the program. They're going to have a men's and women's program. And basically what they're going to happen uh, for this year is they're going to be an exhibition sport. Uh, for a season and then they'll fully be involved as a member of the OCAA in 2023 so a uh, good opportunity there the good part for that school is they do have a dome uh, which is set up for a driving range so they do okay. have an indoor practice facility I have not heard yet where they're going to make their home as far as an outdoor facility for training or anything like that that would be kind of in the fall um, but uh, yeah it's nice to see uh, some of the schools reinstituting or starting varsity golf programs oh that's that's uh that's awesome it's good for the it's good for students because there's a lot of uh um there's a lot of students that they they go to a college especially you know in ontario um you know canada but in ontario they they, they focus more on the program that they want to take even though they even though they still have that sort of interest and aptitude for golf they they'd like to be on a golf team yeah and and sometimes maybe they're skewed towards going to one school over another because they want to kind of continue to pursue the collegiate golf side of things while still focusing on the primary goal, which is their education. So Loyalist is a great college. So for mm -hmm. it to have a program like this will just, it's, it, it provides that opportunity for, you know, or encourages, you know, uh, students to go to Loyalist yeah. that would normally want to go there anyway, but then they can still yeah. pursue their collegiate, uh, collegiate golf. Yeah, they're they're really known actually for a pretty strong journalism program is one of their big programs the nursing program, uh, you know, just a lot of different things that they have there. But those are sort of the key things. And I know over the years and talking to some, uh, you know, different golfers, they might not go there because they're like, eh, okay, I can play golf at Georgian or Humber or whatever the case may be. I'll make the choice that way. So um, yeah, it's just it's just nice to see. And I would expect we're going to see more of those in the future at, at uh, other colleges. Cool. Um, all right. So uh, tell me a little bit about uh, this story that we have uh, posted on on the website right now uh, called the Lost Golf Club. Yeah, we uh, there's an interesting thing in uh, March 2020. Um, Joe, our Joe McLean did a, a little article on what was called the Hillcrest Golf and Country Club. And he basically found, while he was doing research, he found an ad for this golf course uh, that was supposed to be built next to the Royal Ottawa Golf Club over in, in Hull. And it was in the early 1920s. And then sort of, it disappeared. Basically, there was ads for it. And then there wasn't ads for it. So it was a little <laughs> bit, it was a little bit of a, a, a mystery of what sort of happened. And there was a lot of things like that over the years where, you know, there was a prospective golf course and then maybe it didn't come to fruition or maybe it did for a year and disappeared. But um, Joe was curious about it. And he uh, happened to be having some discussions with a gentleman called Don Childs, who we've profiled on, on flagstick.com. Mm -hmm. And I'd encourage people to go in and have a look at that. And Don is a retired professor, but a very avid researcher and especially in the aspect of golf and he's done some amazing uh work and the neat part about don is that you give him a little thread to pull and you know joe goes crazy i know don, i was just gonna don say that goes like... really crazy or whatever so what ended up happening here is don ended up doing a lot of research on it and uh actually created a 143 page booklet on this club, the history of wow. it, the people behind it, what happened to it, 
uh, every little aspect that you can possibly imagine intertwined a lot of the history too of what was happening in the in the Hull Quebec golf scene in the 1920s and you know what was neat about this golf course and uh, you know I'll, I'll encourage people obviously go to the website and read through the through the book but uh, one of the things that they will see is that there was five prospective owners of this golf club two of them were female one of them was only 19 hmm. and it also involved having the mayor of ottawa at the time as the president wow. uh later on the the mayor of hall was involved there was all sorts of different you know political wrangling and yeah so there's a lot of story to it because obviously at the same time you know rivermead had already existed there was other golf courses that were over there uh, like i said the royal and it was next to it the property so it's an interesting tale and and don definitely dug into it so i'd encourage people to go and see it we've got a link there uh on the web page that you can go to don's site to see some of his other work which is amazing uh but you can actually download the entire pdf on our website and have access to that. So thanks to uh, thanks to Don for uh, for doing that and allowing us to kind of provide that for our, our readers. God, can you imagine Don and Joe together? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. God. I mean, Don Don actually here here's a great example. Uh, he actually did a, a great story on a pro that was involved with the Napanee Golf and Country Club, and mm -hmm. he actually did a four part we'll call it an essay. You can call it a book if you want, because really it's book length, uh, totally almost 800 pages. Wow. Just delving. And the neat part for him is he takes it all the twists and turns. He just doesn't gloss over something. He'll basically just go out on a tangent and explore. So for an example, the Hillcrest one, you know, obviously it was a Stanley Thompson design, a 27 holer, and he winds in sort of the story of what was happening with Thompson at the time. He also gives you the history of those five people that were involved in that club. And not only at the time, but where their lives led afterwards of being involved with this project. So anybody that, you know, has any, you know, interest in history at all, or, or, you know, golf in the national capital region in Canada itself, uh, Ian Stanley Thompson, for an example, it, it's definitely worth a read wow okay well there you go check it out uh flagstick.com you can find it there and um you know you'll also see a bunch of other there's also a lot of other history related stories and stuff that we yeah. can post on the website that uh, that joe uh, has actually produced that joe is joe around with with us anyway and i think most people and know joe um know that joe is a history buff he's into his uh into his his hickory golf clubs and he knows mm -hmm. a lot about that stuff he does the tours um you know to tournaments and stuff with his wife paula and they you know they kind of bring people enlighten people about that aspect of the game but um joe's always doing these these anniversary books for golf courses um yeah. you know that are having big anniversaries he's always producing these anniversary books for them and uh um you know, this kind of stuff can be interesting to a lot of people. So and you don't really know how interesting it is until you read it too. So you, you might find that this one really intrigues me and I'm not yeah. the biggest history buff. <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, I, I don't read a lot of, of his, historical stuff um, a little bit, but this one, this one really intrigued me. And I mean, myself, I'm definitely going to, uh, going to have a look at it. There's no question. 
Yeah, we've got a rich history of golf in this country. And, you know, if that gets, uh, you know, if that gets passed over and it disappears and we don't pay attention to it, it's going to be gone forever. And what's going to end up happening is that, you know, 50 years from now, people are going to be wondering, you know, what was that about? Or what was that about? So, you know, having people like Joe McLean, you know, who's also the, uh, you know, the archivist historian for the Ottawa Valley Golf Association, and, you know, obviously does a lot of that same level of work with the, you know, the PGA of Ottawa, um, that's important. It, mm -hmm. That preserves that because I can tell you, you know, the number of times that I've had to, you know, kind of tap into them or, and, you know, I'm sort of that way too. Obviously I've written a few history yes. pieces or whatever, but a lot of times it takes a lot of collaboration to go back and find those details. And mm -hmm. you know, that if you didn't dig those up now, that somehow they're going to be lost and, you know, you'll never know. You'll just end up being guessing at those. Well, stories. thank thank God for people like Joe and and like Don and, and, and like yourself as well, that, that have, that have an interest in the history in the historical side of the game and, and that want to find these things out and dig into them and, and, and write about them, even if they're only doing it for their own, you yeah, know, sometimes, sure. sometimes yeah. people do it for their own benefit just because they want to know. Yeah. And then they document it. And the next thing you know, it's out there for everybody and now everybody right. can benefit from it, but not everybody is into that kind of thing. So no, not no, everybody's sure. going to, you know, dive in as deep as it takes to really get the, you know, get the nitty gritty on it. So uh, yeah, good job guys. Um, and you thank you again, Don, for that. Um, Scott, um, I want to bring up a topic. Uh, yeah. um, and um, I'll let you kind of handle this because I know how close you are to the, uh, the Underhill family. But uh, yeah, we have some rather positive news to kind of update on uh, on Hayden Underhill. And I'll let you kind yeah. of get into it and tell tell a little bit about what happened and, and where things are at because uh you know it's um it's an extraordinary event and it's a, it's an extraordinary story of what's going on yeah so uh six weeks ago i i think uh you know many people are aware just because you know it did receive a lot of attention but uh you know uh the university of the southwest uh golf team so they're based in in hobbs new mexico and uh they were coming back from a uh tournament and uh their team bus um just a van more than anything um was hit head on by another vehicle coming in the other direction and uh unfortunately um on that bus uh there was nine uh students and or eight students and a coach and uh there was only two survivors um, and two, and the, there was no survivors from the other vehicle as well. It was a head-on crash at high speed. Um, and the two survivors were uh, Dayton Price and Hayden Underhill. And Hayden's from Amherst, Ontario. Uh, Hayden obviously has played in the Flagstick Open. Um, We've we known Hayden for quite some time. Uh, personally, um, I've worked with Hayden for, I think, four years now as his coach. And so you can imagine um, six weeks ago when all of a sudden you know, the news came of this accident and what happened and, and uh, the fact that, uh, you know, you all of a sudden have people that you know, in ICU and not knowing what's going to happen. And I won't get too, too personal with the with the details, because, uh, you know, that's not my place to, to share those things. But I can tell you, it's been a, you know, it's been a very trying uh, last six weeks um, for their family. And but they've received amazing support. And I'll get to the good news right away. If people are not aware that uh, Hayden is now home. Um, you know, Dayton Price, unfortunately, is still, um, you know, having uh, medical treatment in, in Texas, but hopes to be home soon. Um, 
but Hayden came home last week. Um, you know, he's continuing his recovery and, and, uh, you know, treatments and stuff up here, but, uh, you know, he's in a walking boot and, uh, I have not seen him yet. I am going to see him today, which is going to be a very emotional experience for me this evening. Um, uh, and that's just, my daughter was sick last week. So we don't want, we obviously don't want to, you know, no. get anyone else sick or things like that. But, uh, you know, the fact that six weeks from being lifelighted from, uh, you know, a vehicle where, you know, six of your teammates and your coach, uh, you know, died in this fiery crash, um, and to be in the situation, you know, that he was and, you know, where he's come in six weeks is just a miracle. And that's, that's the only way I can really describe it. And, you know, there's certainly been a lot of touch and go moments in the, in the last little while, but, um, you know, thankfully there's been a lot of positives and, uh, you know, we're hoping that, you know, he can get back and, uh, return to the golf course, uh, at some point soon, obviously not rushing to do that, but, you know, he's, um, he's eager to, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, that's, that's the good news aspect of it that, you know, here we are six weeks later, certainly didn't expect after, you know, no. the phone calls and the communications of, of six weeks ago, um, you know, that we'd be where we're at now. And, uh, I I'm just proud of him more than anything. I mean, he's yeah. shown a lot of resilience, a lot of grit. Um, he's had to undergo a lot in the last little while. And, uh, it's just nice to see him back. And I think people are just, you know, totally, excited for him and the fact that obviously you know he's on the road to recovery no that's uh that is great news and i i know um you know obviously we're not we're not uh, in a position where we want to get into the a lot of the details of that we're going to leave that up to the to the family to yeah. bring those things forward when they're when the time is right and and you know at some point you know hopefully we do get an opportunity to to speak to uh speak to hayden uh, and and his family you know maybe on this podcast you know maybe just for sure you know in in general i mean obviously you'll speak to him uh later today but yeah um it's a it's great to see that happening and and you know we wish obviously we wish all the best to hayden and his family and we wish all the best to dayton and his recovery yeah um, it's a it's a going to be a process for both of them for sure but it's uh at least the positive side of it is uh, kind of in the forefront now and not so much the negative so yeah and like i said uh, you know i i you know personally have been able to you know thank a lot of people um kind of on their behalf because obviously they've been very occupied with what they've had to do um with hayden and you know i know they're very overwhelmed by the amount of support in the community um you know from a personal level fundraising level gofundme uh amazing support from people at manufacturers golf ontario golf canada i mean lawrence applebaum yeah. and their team there couldn't have been greater as far as the support that they've shown um you know bob weeks and the guys at tsn making mention of the the boys and their gofundme during their masters broadcast um you know taking the time to reach out and do that when they didn't necessarily have to um and you know making sure that you know these guys have the best chance possible to move forward with something positive in their life for sure for sure yep okay um one other thing to kind of uh just um mention here on the front nine uh is um uh, we got a little a profile story we were speaking of about joe mclean earlier yes um, that, yeah uh, joe uh wrote a, a nice profile piece on on a gentleman by the name of lyle alexander and uh we have that posted up on flagstick.com right now so um you know why don't we kind of just uh shed a little light on that on that profile 
Yeah, it's more or less a, a catch up. You know, we uh, Joe wrote a full profile on Lyle back in 2013. And mm -hmm. what we wanted to do is a little bit of a follow up. And uh, the remarkable part about the story, as you'll see, is, um, you know, Lyle's getting a little bit older, but still very active in golf. And you'll note how many times now he has shot his age and I'm not going to give that up of how much it is. Um, but it's a lot mm -hmm. and uh, the number of club championships that he has compiled as well. And I think that's interesting. So if people want to hop onto flagstick.com and, and have a look at that, um, they will be surprised how many times he's shot his age or better. Uh, and I will tease that the number of club championships that he's won either a class or seniors uh, is numbering close to three dozen. So that's how remarkable. Oh and, and Lyle was a long time uh, referee as well with the OVGA and a, yep. a, um, you know, a board member there as well. Very active in, in the uh, national capital golf scene for many, many years at various clubs, you know, Udaway, Carleton, uh, you know, uh, Mississippi, uh, just a stack of them there, Greensmere. Uh, and I think people will be intrigued at uh, what he's continuing to do, um, you know, as he uh, works his way into his senior career or through his senior career. It's funny because Lyle is one of those players that if I look back, you know, back to 1996, when I started, you know, yeah. Flagstick Magazine, and Lyle was one of the guys that was around then in the competitive right. scene. And he's always, he's always yeah. in the competitive scene, like every leaderboard that I ever published, <clears throat> every story I ever wrote. His, his name was always there. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's either this tournament, that intersectionals, you know, provincial, whatever, it didn't matter as Lyle yeah. Alexander. And, and I mean, it's been 20, we're 26 years now that, yeah, Flagstick has existed and we're still talking about Lyle Alexander not just as a guy in the golf world but as a competitive golfer right. still ultra competitive yeah 26 years later and you know it's not that he was 13 years old back then no 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 you not know? At I mean, all. It's, yeah you know yeah. so that's uh you know that's awesome and, and I mean again I mean it's this is kind of thing that Joe you know jumps on on top of as he sees mm -hmm. these things and and then he does the story and then you know look what happens yeah well lyle had reached out um just as a note i guess he was mentioning to joe something a little bit he kept a spreadsheet of you know kind of his rounds and stuff like that and i'm like uh joe you know why don't, why don't you pull on that thread a little bit you know and then as he said you know he'd already written a profile and nine years ago in lyle and it's like yeah well let's just do a little update and and put it out there and and provide some extra appreciation and and like you said he, he's one of those guys that you know you go to type and you write the word if you write the word lyle mm -hmm. almost automatically alexander Alexander's goes after, the next <laughs> after it. it's so hilarious. It's one of the ones you have to spell check if somebody else is named lyle that you might put that in there so i mean all the time you'd be talking to people and you know they'll mention somebody and they're like well oh, have you heard of that person before and you're like yeah i've written his name a lot over yeah, the years so time. yeah yeah, for sure. So, but, uh, but cool story to follow for sure. Cool. All right, uh, Scott. Well, I think, I think that kind of wraps up the, the front nine and um, uh, for this week, anyway, uh, we're going to come back. And when we do, we're going to, uh, we're going to go see Kevin Haim on the, uh, from the Kevin Haim golf school. And we're going to uh, uh, have, see if Kevin can't help us out with the width of your stance a little bit, because it, it is individual and, and can be very unique to, to people. Uh, we're also going to dive into that, uh, how brand shape golfers uh, yeah. on the back nine, um, but we got to take a quick uh, take a quick break, pay some bills, uh, and uh, take a break and listen to something from uh, our podcast sponsor, TaylorMade Golf Canada. We'll be right back. 
Over the past 40 years, you've inspired us to make a lot of great drivers. All great, but all eventually reach their limit. But while we were making all these drivers for the present, we were also hard at work making the next generation of driver. Because where titanium ends, carbon begins. All right, we are back with the Back Nine presented this week by Golf Sim Gurus. Work on your game all year round in the privacy and in the privacy of your own home custom golf simulator setups built to your specs and to fit your budget. Visit golfsimgurus.ca to learn more. All right, Scott, um, we have an interesting topic uh, to, you know, of discussion uh, on the Back Nine this week, and um, it's how brands shape golfers. And I guess we could start this discussion off by by looking at um, at the Twitter poll that you did, mm-hmm. um, where you asked the question: Does the brand of golf bag you use align with the brand of the majority of your clubs? Yeah, fair question and and an interesting question. Forty one percent said yes, fifty nine percent said no. Yeah, so. 40, 60, it's still kind of split down the middle, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, it leans a little more to no, but um, so where do we start with this topic, Scott? Because it's a very interesting one. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think where we start with it a little bit is, you know, I I guess introducing some of our own backgrounds in here and in the fact that, you know, um, obviously marketing and and, uh, advertising was part of your original um, you know, college program that you went to. Uh, marketing was part of the program that I, I took as well and have taken several other marketing courses over the years. But, uh, you know, marketing and branding has been a significant part of uh, our discussions over the years, 26 mm-hmm. years of obviously for Flagstick. Prior to that, um, you know, when we worked together in retail, um, you know, there's a lot of discussions about how brands influence golfers and they shape what they do and what they think about products. And, you know, this is not something that's a hot minute topic. This is something that we've seen progress and happen over the years, but I always find it intriguing. And this is why the question came up was, you know, why do golfers, you know, make the choices that they do, whether it's the golf course that they go to or the clubs that they choose. And, you know, this was more focusing on the golf clubs and that decision, not of just buying the golf clubs, but, you know, are they so influenced by the brand that, you know, they end up matching their golf bag with their clubs? Uh, You know, and that was sort of the question, which was really just a, you know, a touch on the whole branding issue. So I think the first thing to maybe sit there and talk about a little bit is, you know, that golfer and maybe what we see in observations of what, you know, how golfers make those decisions. So, you know, let's think maybe of when we were in retail, for an example. Yeah. And, and how golfers used to come in and ask for a particular brand and why, and because sometimes we would ask them why they were looking for a particular brand, right? Yeah, I was going to say that, like, that's one of the things that, that I noticed, um, you know, when we were working at the golf shop in Kingston there uh, years and years and years ago, yeah. is that someone come in and want, you know, okay, I, I need, I want a new set of irons. I'm, I'm looking for X. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. They come in the door and and they automatically predetermined the mm-hmm. brand of club that they want to buy. Yeah. Which 
to them that's that's you know how they oh, choose to have this like that's how they right. choose when yeah. when we as professionals in the industry even back then when fitting was not like fitting for us was primarily a static fitting and not really so much a dynamic fitting there was right. we did have we did have the ability to do with the swing mate from last week's show yeah yeah um, we had the ability to do dynamic fitting but yeah we would look at it more from okay well is that really the kind of club you need like mm -hmm. are you what type of player are you what are you looking for right. what kind of ball flight are you looking for yeah. you know and we're trying to determine you know whether you need an offset iron or a, or a non-offset mm -hmm. iron you need something that's stainless or forged and and they're just like nope i gotta i gotta yeah. have this so you know what what makes that i guess what influences that decision i mean we talked about talk about marketing mm -hmm. um and, and and here we have to put, also put it in context of time because yes. you know in the 1990s you know newspaper television radio Very tour <laughs> tour totally different than yeah. what we have available to us now i mean there's obviously bigger channels to influence what a player or a person thinks mm -hmm. now or different ways to go about it than you know what they saw then so that's why i think it's easier to start back with the simplistic of the you know form of the 1990s when mm -hmm. there was only a certain things of why people would would make those choices so you know what did you hear in particular back then when people were making choices what do you recall a lot of it was was um the golf magazines mm -hmm. because yep. we didn't have golf channel right uh initially it just started it yeah. just started yeah. we didn't have golf on tv was not as big as it is now right so we yeah. did have we did you know there were sports on tv but it was primarily even back then the, the masters were still only showing the front nine or the sorry the back, back nine. nine yeah so yeah. you know in majors it was still only three hours on a sunday afternoon right so yeah. i think it was more more what i heard was more of the the um you know the golf publications back then you know sure. you know anyone saying golf digest golf magazine yeah, yeah of course uh, yeah. you know there was other ones back then too but that's where the majority of that information was being put out there because right. other than tv ads which a lot of the manufacturers back then weren't buying tv ads because it was very expensive and mm -hmm. there's a lot yeah. of small small companies in the industry back then yeah so the golf magazines was the high priority or the golf retailers like us at the time mm. and, and the other local retailers at the time, whatever they put in their newspaper ad, right? You know, yeah. or yeah. or had on their radio commercials. That's but it was primarily the print marketing back then that was kind of the influence they because they yeah. would actually come in with the magazine in their hand, mm -hmm. um, or they'd talk about the ad that they saw in the the last issue, and they you know there was a review on this. Um, yeah. Yeah, like that's that's where I thought. What about you? Yeah, no, it was the same. And I think one of the things was, you know, there was always the referrals. There was mm -hmm. always what their friends played or had or whatever, as far as knowing the brands. Um, I don't think, and I think this is consistent all the way through. I think the exposure on things like tours and seeing tour players play particular equipment didn't drive people necessarily to say, oh, you know, X player is playing this club. I want to play this club, mm -hmm. you know, with the exception of a few things, you know, Nicholas winning the masters in 86, obviously, you know, big response uh, to the response ZT putter and McGregor, yes. and they sold 600,000 of those or whatever. But in most cases, it was more because there was a prevalence of a brand. So that provided validation and that still exists on the tour. Um, 
but you know, you might see players in some ways influenced by a hero. They wanted to copy what a player does. And you'll see that nowadays. I still see lots of young girls now that are playing, you know, ping because Brooke does, yeah. right? So Brooke Henderson, right? Or whatever. But, you know, it would be more overall pitcher more than anything. So back then, for an example, yeah, you know, a Titleist or, you know, Callaway was obviously buying TV commercials back then. And as you mentioned, um, you know, it was it was expensive because there was only a limited amount of of coverage and it was on network TV. So mm-hmm. it was prime time. It wasn't cable or stuff or things like that. So um, you're right. A lot of times people would come in and, uh, you know, just like you said, they, they know a particular brand. They come in and say, I want Tommy Armors or I want this or I want that. Um, but they also. I would say they weren't as educated as maybe people are now as well. Oh, you know, no they didn't know as that. enough about the equipment because again, as things have transitioned through the 2000s, 10s, into the 20s or whatever, and the internet, obviously, uh, more information about products becomes more available, which in some ways can educate people, but also can confuse them. I was going to say, well. it's, yeah, I was going to say, you got uh, negative I, sides too. I think nowadays with the, with the sheer amount of, of uh, information that's available uh, and the, the number of sources that that information is available, where the information comes from, uh, the source of that information plays a big part in in uh, the education process of the consumer yeah. too, because not every right. source that this information comes from is a reliable, mm-hmm. you know, or or a knowledgeable source. There's lots right. of there's lots of blogs out there. There's lots of stuff on the internet from people mm-hmm. that are just, you know in some cases just joe average golfer that really doesn't know anything about what they're mm-hmm. talking about with golf sure. equipment or products but they throw it out there because they're a golfer and they know mm-hmm. something and people buy into that information whereas mm-hmm. there's more credible sources that you know from industry people you know even like ourselves that have been in the business for years mm-hmm. and and make it our our day-to-day routine to be aware of what products are out there. And even, even to the point where in some cases you try to, to, to almost know more than the, than the people that, you know, are, I like to say more than the people that are selling the product. It, it's almost becomes kind of like, a, I have to know yeah. because I'm putting this online, mm-hmm. you know, I'm putting this on the internet. And if I put it on the internet and I'm just spewing out, you know, yeah, you're for lack of a better term, I'm spewing yeah. out marketing material. Yeah. Um, that's that's fine but yeah the marketing material is there for to serve a purpose too it's not Correct. always the in it's not always the deepest uh component of it. that's why the consumer relies on on people like like ourselves and other people that are that have been in the industry a while and and pride themselves on their knowledge of the products to mm-hmm. bring them the the more in-depth information than what they see or hear in an ad yeah, I mean, marketing is always the the sort of the entry point. It's the way to entice people in. So if we look back at, you know, that retail situation or whatever, a person comes in, they have a particular interest in a brand, that that's sort of the stepping stone. And that's the hard part for manufacturers is to sort of, you know, draw the eyeballs to get people interested enough that they'll follow up on that. Right. Then another aspect of marketing is actually what the follow through is on that. And that's where you're talking about a little bit too, you know, there's things that happen very, you know, acutely that it's just happens and happens, but if things are happening on a consistent basis and people start to 
trust a brand. So for an example, if they have a great experience with a brand, maybe they've had a good customer service experience or, you know, a retailer or a golf course, whatever the case may be, or even for ourselves, you have to build that reputation over time and you have to be consistent and honest of what's happening there. And if you are, then you build brand equity. Uh, and I think when we talk to golfers and, and why they all of a sudden, you know, will buy that golf bag that, you know, goes with the clubs that they have, it's not always a case of, oh, I want to match, <laughs> you know, it, it's because, you know what, I've had brand X, I like their golf clubs, so I trust the brand to buy the golf bag. And it's not going to be the same for every single one. No. But, but there's lots of lessons to be learned there within the industry and so forth about, you know, how you can influence people. Yeah. But it's not, but it's not, unfortunately, because the barriers are so easy now with digital aspects and platforms to just kind of throw something out there. But if you don't follow it up and you're not consistent over time, you're not really building the brand equity. Well, right. And, and the other thing I think with the, you know, when you talk about the relationship between the equipment that somebody plays and the bag that they, that they have when mm -hmm. they're matching like that. Right. Um, I think that it, it's a, um, it's almost like a pride thing when you're, when you're so, when you, when you like your equipment, when you like mm -hmm. your irons or you like your, your foot, say you have the same irons, woods, wedges, and putter in your bag. Yeah. And you've made that decision to play that equipment because of whether it's your long-term experience, whether it's, you know, going back to, you know, your father played that brand and, and, mm -hmm. you know, your brother plays that brand and your uncle plays that brand. So you play that brand and, and you like the brand. Mm -hmm. Well, then putting that golf bag, putting those clubs in that golf bag with that brand on the side of it is almost like you were saying to everybody that you play golf with, you know, I'm a, I'm a ping guy, or I'm a tailor-made yeah. guy, or I'm a, yeah. I'm a Titleist guy. Like this is my brand. I I'm, you know, I'm yeah. proud to yeah. have those clubs in my bag, which yeah. is great for the manufacturers because mm -hmm. That's what they say when, when they talk about their equipment. They love the equipment mm -hmm. that they're playing. Now, they're also quick to, to possibly dump the bag if they, if they decide that they're going to not be so loyal anymore. But yeah. that's what I find. I mean, at least, you know, for me, you know, carrying a bag that matches my equipment would be, would be a lot, would be about um, showcasing the fact that that's the clubs I play. Kind of like mm -hmm. a tour pro doing it for sponsorship. Like it's part mm -hmm. of it's a sponsorship thing. They're, they're an ambassador for mm -hmm. that product. Mm -hmm. As an amateur, you're not getting paid to play the equipment, but you have that same sort of pride of, you know, I'm yeah. carrying the bag, you know, this yeah. is my, my, my brand. This is my brand. And, and uh, the thing is within there, people making that decision, I mean, some of that's influenced or used to be influenced by tour where a tour player would have one brand throughout their bag. But, mm -hmm. you know, in talking about different companies, companies also make a decision too of who they want to be and how they want to be recognized. Mm -hmm. And you see that carry through in their marketing, whether people think they're affected by it or not. Um, you know, they put a particular focus on certain things. So, you know, Ping, for an example, puts himself out there as an engineering company. Mm -hmm. uh, TaylorMade, you know, their, their old mantra is a leading edge sort of company. Titleist was, you know, the serious golfer. They all have their own little angles and that influences 
generally who gets attracted to them and you know they'll live and die by those particular things they'll adapt that maybe over the years but you'll also see they'll be fairly consistent with that so if a player identifies with a brand and say oh that's the that's the edgy brand i want to be the edgy player um you know pxg comes on the scene and you know they're they're a premium they got a sort of their own little angle to it or whatever that that may appeal to somebody's personality yeah and that that makes them go for it whether that whether there's enough market there with you know those particular factions that can last over a long long time yeah. that's hard, that's hard to say but it's always fascinating when you you go and you talk to golfers and say why did you particular choose those particular clubs that said I will say nowadays, we are now starting to see more of an agnostic age. Mm-hmm. We are starting to see, although we, 100%. you know, we, we generally will see a lot of bags that if all of a sudden somebody's got tailor-made irons, they've got tailor-made woods. Um, we'll starting to see more people because of the influence of fitters and education and going against what we saw in the 1990s. Yes. Now people are going to go, oh, I'm going to come in there. What's the best clubs for me? And it doesn't necessarily come from you know, one brand. And yes, you can, you can have lots of options within a particular brand that could probably come close Mm -hmm. if a person wanted to play a particular brand, but, you know, people have to understand that, you know, they might come from different manufacturers to get the best possible mix. uh, And that's going to be a really particular golfer, but that's certainly changing a little bit more. That said, it still influences people. You'll still see, see people make a decision, you know, between two products and they're like, yeah, that one really works for me, but Eh, and and it happens on tour even like yeah. you know i've heard stories from fitters where all of a sudden they go yeah we you know we work for two hours with that player got that shaft just right but they didn't like the color because it wasn't their college it was against their <laughs> it was their college enemy team or whatever like that so um yeah. but yeah it's interesting as far as those those trends and how players choose to to play what they want to do well i remember back um back when we um we were doing it. It was a magazine, but I mean, um, our good buddy Chad Hollington, mm-hmm. who's yep. no longer in the golf industry, but we still keep in touch. But Chad was a representative for McGregor, right? Yeah. Um, back then, uh, which was, um, but they that the company, the brand of the company McGregor, was making a resurgence into the industry, right? And and their whole concept with McGregor was that was bringing back you know, bringing back the old, bringing back the, the hand that, you know, the, it was the heritage of the company. company. It was, they were showing the, 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 their marketing materials was all, all the black and white and it was Mm -hmm. all showing the the craftsmanship of the product. And And we've seen that from Hogan over the years. We've seen that from Wilson where they talked about the majors. That appeals to, that's the opposite of what some companies do where Mm -hmm. they're on the leading edge, the cutting edge of Mm -hmm. technology. It's like, this is the latest and greatest the metal material or or the the material we're using to build the club. Well, some of them the are shaft. forced into some of them are forced yeah. into that because they don't have the heritage, right? So that's right. that's the hard part is if they don't have that history, they have to make their own history and see how that influences the golfers. Of you know, they'll come out, hey, we're better than everyone else. We're doing it differently. We're yes. doing it this way or whatever. So um, you know, while there's certainly technological innovations and we see them all the time, and that's one thing I should say you know we do have players or people all the time that you know they'll look at stuff online they'll see a picture of a club and they'll poo poo it right away because they're like oh it's just the same old club and they've repainted whatever no 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 that's that's not the case i can guarantee <laughs> repainted you repainted it come on you know 
believe me, had enough discussions and you can listen back and look through all our content or whatever. So many discussions with engineers and so forth. And engineers are about performance. You know, that's what they're after. They'll leave the marketing to the marketing people who obviously have to put their own spin on it. Um, But certainly the engineers are trying to push and push and push and push and push. So um, you're right. They have to, brands have to make those decisions. So like McGregor did, they're like, man, we've got this heritage. We should dive into this. And, And what they're doing there is they're basically showing you know, here's all these good things that have happened in the past. We have all this goodwill. We have all this equity. You should believe that mm-hmm. because we already have this history that's there. So again, that sort of shapes the brands and who it appeals to because somebody's going to be, you know, maybe they're nostalgic. And as you said, my dad played that. Yeah. My grandfather played yeah. that brand. I trust that brand, right? I'll, I'll even go further with, uh, um, I like this. I like this topic. Um, I'll even go further with the marketing side uh, of things. If we we go back to um, when uh, Adam's Tight Lies mm. was released, and yep. and their whole marketing, their whole marketing campaign, their whole marketing premise was based around the infomercial. Yep, it wasn't it wasn't ads in the in the magazines. It mm-hmm. wasn't. It was all based on the infomercial, and they built a massive following for this fairway wood. Yep, you know, n- not nothing else at the time. Other stuff came later, but but the fairway wood and people bought into that. Now this is not, there's a lot of infomercials on products out there and that, that, you know, we could kind of poke fun at a little bit if we wanted to, is like how, how, you know, how good are they actually? But in this case, the tight lies, this was a good club. Well, it solved a, it solved a problem for people, right? Which is always really what it comes down to when you're, you know, when you're a retailer, when you're a fitter, when you're, advertise you know doing marketing whatever you're you're trying to solve a problem for the consumer and if you can solve that problem for them they're mm-hmm. all in yeah and, and and the but it was a different channel of marketing right. uh, in the industry at the time and people people jumped on top of it and yeah. and it was very successful for them so there's another thing that you know from the standpoint of brand influencing people's buying decisions through marketing yeah. Um, it's not that the product was not a good product. It's just that the channel of marketing that they used was very different yeah. and, yeah. and it, it, it elevated very, very quickly. So, well, the, I think the, the cool thread that's pulled out of that, which is maybe one of the last big things that we can talk about okay. here or whatever, is that, um, you know, what ends up happening there is that people end up having a positive experience and this would happen at a golf course. This would happen with everything that you actually have and you build trust. Yeah. With, with the consumer. And once you build that trust, um, you're in a much better position to actually influence them, which sort of takes me and and leads me to what is happening nowadays with so many channels being split all over the place within social media and each actually having the common word influencers out Mm -hmm. there, which is kind of funny because, you know, I've been going through and, you know, I I recently read a a study at the journal of retailing and consumer services and that actually exists. People, they're actually real, (laughs) real, real studies, real, real scientific studies working on this stuff and talking about you know social media and influencers and so forth and trust is the biggest issue that comes up in there and i notice when i'm looking across different things and you know we're very cognizant about our brand with flagstick of developing doing the right thing Mm -hmm. you know not the fast thing not the thing that's going to grab 
you know, easy money or whatever the case may be. It's doing the things that build trust. And while that's frustrating at times, because obviously some people will be, you know, they'll be vulnerable to, oh, hey, that sounds exciting. That'll solve the problem for me. And they spend money on that. We've realized that it's a long-term thing that you're going to do. So what I see now is people that are maybe influenced a little bit by something that's social media. So we'll, we'll see, for an example, we'll talk to somebody who's um, in marketing and travel. I remember talking to a, a guy who tried to make use of, you know, uh, some influencers is the way it was. Mm-hmm. What he realized quickly though, is that there were different segments within the influencer category. There was people that were actually they would influence it. And and we can call ourselves influencers because we've been doing this for a long, long time. There is the aspect of where things were a lot more organic, a lot more natural, and people had trust in those people and they saw what they did and they were more liable to be influenced by that person long-term. The other side of it is there'd be a lot of people that all of a sudden there were influencers and you see that all of a sudden they promote something, but they do it purely for the money. Mm -hmm. And then next thing you know, and I, I saw this recently and I had to actually mute uh, one of these influencers um, within their content, every single post or every single story or whatever was pushing something, but what they pushed changed. Like, so within one category, for an example, say it's, uh, you know, outerwear, mm-hmm. say it's, it's like th- within a nine month period, they had three different outerwear companies yeah. that were the best well guess what the trust is gone because yep. <laughs> people then begin to recognize that you know they're doing it purely for the money that it's not actually authentic and while you may catch a few flies in that you may catch a few people in that consumers or manufacturers and companies start to begin to realize that you know we need greater amount of credibility that's in there and if the credibility is not there over time then you basically lose credibility as a company because you're using that avenue that doesn't have any credibility. And all of a sudden, you know, people are not going to buy those golf clubs or go to the, buy that shirt or whatever, because they're going to like, uh, all right, if that's the way they're going to do their marketing, then I'm not going to believe in that because you know, they're obviously doing something that's a little bit more fleeting and they're just doing it for the sake of making a, making a sale. Well, that's the thing. Trust. I mean, we we can end on this, that, that trust, is a very, very powerful, powerful tool. Mm-hmm. But heaven forbid you do anything to to uh, create distrust with yeah. your brand. Totally. Because that yeah. is so difficult to rebound yeah. from once you've yeah. lost the trust of your consumer, lost the trust of your audience in, in our case, then it's very hard to get to regain that trust. It takes a lot more work to get it back than it did to get it in the first place. Yeah. So hundred percent. Yeah. You've uh, got to be, a, you've got to be authentic and, yeah. you know, trust is an emotion, you know, and it's something that is very, as you said, very, very valuable. And you have to make all your decisions based on maintaining that and not doing something uh, to disturb it. And if you do do something, to disturb it, you've got to be accountable for it own right it away. <laughs> own it, own it quick. If you do yeah. not own that. Yeah. And we've seen that within manufacturers, golf courses, golf businesses of any kind, if they own it quickly, 
that actually leads to more trust and more credibility. Yeah. It's, it's when you try to kind of sweep it under the rug that it becomes a bit of an issue. So, um, you know, I'd love to hear from, you know, some of our listeners about, you know, their decisions as well. Why do they play the equipment that they do? In some cases, it may be the trust. It may be the trust in the fitter or the person that's selling it to them. So they're transferring that trust to the reputation from, you know, that fitter to say, I trust them. They're going to give me the best equipment possible. It's not about the brand of the equipment. So, uh, but we'd love to hear from those people of why you choose to do what you do within golf. Why do you buy the golf shoes that you do? Why do you buy the golf bag you do? Why do you go to the golf course that you do? Why do you get the golf equipment that you do? I mean, it'd be great to hear uh, how they think about it too. Yeah. Like now, now does this open up something to them in their brain? They go, oh, I didn't really think about why I trust that particular brand. So it, it would be great to hear from people of, of uh, what they think on the topic. Cool. I like that. Uh, I like the whole conversation. It could, it could go on for quite a, quite a long it time, could. but uh, yeah. uh, it certainly is an interesting conversation and it's one that truly, you know, it has no right or wrong answers to it. Um, you know, that said, uh, the brands that we choose uh, might play, um, play with some aspects of your, your actual game. Um, mm-hmm. But fixing your swing is something that, uh, that can help you uh, lower your scores and play more consistent golf, uh, um, a little bit more than, than just the equipment that you play. So, uh, with that in mind, it's time for another weekly, uh, swing fix here on the flagstick podcast. Uh, it's time to hit the lesson T brought to you by the Kevin Haim golf school. It's always the right time to play better, whether you need private lessons, a better short game, some putting help, or even a custom club fitting visit <laughs> kevinhaim.com yep. and remember that better golf is a lot more fun uh this week kevin speaks about figuring out the proper stance width for your golf swing check this out okay golfers time for another lesson here and today we're talking about width of stance i uh I, actually i think the most important thing about width of stance is that it's consistent once you find what's right for you and as you can see with this alignment stick at my feet, I've done exactly that. I've also done it for consistency in teaching at our golf school, but I've marked this alignment stick with a piece of white tape for my lead heel, and then my trailing foot, the white tape is wedges, short irons, then the yellow for the mid iron, the red moves into hybrids and long irons, and then the driver is the green. So when I'm practicing, I've always got a consistent base, which really has an effect on timing and how I move. Now, here's the lesson really, though. You have to find your proper width of stance. There is a little bit of allowance for different body types and swing shapes to set up how wide or narrow they want their stance to be. Here are the only conditions I want you to be careful of. If your stance in golf is too wide, I know I'm exaggerating, but you need to see this a little bit. When I have a wide stance, which I see a lot in bigger, stronger guys, they want to get really wide and stable. But what happens is I can't get my weight from foot to foot now. So I'm kind of stuck in the middle. I also can't turn very well, so I may block the shot and not get up onto my lead leg. So too wide a stance has a series of problems. Too narrow a stance allows for too much shimmy shake like a skier. And we get to the outside of our legs. And then we're swaying and moving around and tilting and changing spine tilt and angle. And that's not good either. Now, a narrow stance will allow for more rotation. A wide stance will allow for more stability. So it's up to you to practice a little bit. Make sure you're stable, but you can still turn, still move from foot to foot. And once you find that width of stance for you, 
set your own alignment stick with some markings so you're consistent and to become a consistent uh, ball striker. Well, as always, thank you, Kevin, for that. Uh, width of stance. I know I tend to have myself a little bit wider stance. <laughs> you um, do. You know, I'm one of those people that uh, my golf swing is such that it, I, I tend to move off the ball a little bit. And if I don't have a wide enough stance, I end up getting on the outside of my right for a right-handed golfer. I end up getting my weight on the outside of my right leg. Uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to being able to keep it on the inside of my right foot. And then if it gets outside, then, I mean, as as a golf professional, Scott, and anybody out there that is a golf professional knows if the weight yeah. rolls on the outside of your right leg, you're in a whole lot of trouble. Yeah, I mean, that width of stance is super, super important. Um, it influences a lot of things, you know, mobility of how you move as far as your body. It influences the path. It also influences the low point as far as the golf clubs. There's a lot of things that can yeah. happen there. So, you know, having that consistency of what works with for you is, is certainly certainly uh, important. And, you know, I like how Kevin does that, uh, you know, that, that simple method as far as you to find what works for you. And then you can be consistent with that because obviously if you can take out as many variables as possible within your golf swing, uh, it can help you have more predictable results. Beautiful. Well said. Well said. Well, thank All right. You. Well, the Masters is in the books. Major it one is. on the PGA Tour is in the books. And obviously, uh, we get up for the majors. That's uh, yep. as golfers and as golf enthusiasts, that's what we do. We get up for the majors. And, you know, my favorite major personally of all of them has always been the Open Championship. I, I don't know if it's just, you know, getting back to the roots of of golf or what it is or the courses that they play just kind of interest me a little bit more uh but with the 150th open championship set yeah. for this summer uh there are many ways that people will be commemorating uh, the 150th open championship and uh let's take a look at one item that you'll be able to purchase uh this year in, in this segment of product watch brought to you of course by greensmere save 40 percent on all daily green fee rates with FlexPass. For only $425 plus tax, visit greensmere.com for more info and to get your flex pass. All right, Scott. Um, yes, sir. We got a book to talk about, a book on Product Watch. What is this book? Yeah, we uh, obviously, you know, as you mentioned, uh, the Open is going to be very important this year, the, being the 150th. Um, hasn't quite been the same the last couple of years, but uh, this year they return back to St. Andrews. Um, they're expecting, and you'll see if you go into flagstick.com, there's a, expecting a record crowd, 290,000 wow. people uh, for the week. They had 1.3 million applications for the ballot. And the RNA, who uh, runs the Open, has actually uh, got a commemorative book that they're going to put out. Uh, now, we should say it's a pre-order right now because they want to include some of the elements of the, uh, the Open. Uh, in it. So it's going to be published um, in August, although they do have the audible uh, version of it. The, the audio version will be coming out uh, in May, um, but it's basically a book, 320 pages is expected, and uh, it's $60 uh, American, actually Canadian, actually. And uh, it's going to celebrate the 150 years and talk about the whole history of the Open, take it from the start to the finish, not only the players as well, uh, but other elements like you know, the caddies, the green keepers, uh, the courses, um, it's going to have different, uh, stories, all the different characters of the, of the open great photography. And, uh, it's just a nice way to, uh, you know, 
put something on the bookshelf uh, if you're going to buy that uh, print version. And uh, it might be a nice gift as well. I mean, uh, you know, being available in August, uh, it might be something that people will think about uh, as you head to the, uh, the fall and the holiday gift season. And uh, I know I'm, I'm going to definitely order a copy. Uh, yeah. They've got Ian Carter uh, working on that with the RNA. And, you know, having the resource, the RNA behind it makes it even better. Um, it's hard enough as a, you know, a researcher or somebody that's independent to try to get as much information as possible. But, you know, when it's actual, the RNA, who, you know, runs the open, uh, you know, providing the, the resources and putting it behind exactly. it, you know, it's going to be the most comprehensive uh, book possible. So uh, pretty excited to see that one for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I was checking it. The, the cover of it looks pretty cool. It's definitely mm-hmm. definitely make for a really good coffee table book. That's for sure. Conversation piece for the golf enthusiast out there to have uh, sitting in their in their den or in their living room for uh, for people to look at the cover. It's really kind of cool. I, I, yeah, I it, it's uh, it's one of those majors that I know for myself that I definitely still on my bucket list to get to. Uh, we're fortunate, obviously, that we've been to St Andrews yes. and, and uh, you know walked the property extensively uh, and spent a a fair bit of uh, time there in the town. And we know how special it is and, you know, to have everybody there uh, for that open championship. And like I said, uh, you know, if you think how crazy it was, I think 2000 uh, when Tiger won the Claret Jug for the first time, that was the record attendance previously at 239,000. So you're going to have another 60 or 40, sorry, 50,000 good math today. Uh, Another 50,000 people in town, for that so it's just going to be a wild scene for sure and uh so yeah it'll be nice to get this book and it's called celebrating 150 years of the open championship it's by ian carter and the rna uh, and you can do uh pre-sales on now and available and then as i said the audible uh so nine and a half hours long as far as the audible it'll be available on kindle as well and that'll be available in may cool cool well, keeping in, not, this doesn't happen very often, but since we have a little, we have a little self-serving interest here, uh, a little ah, personal yes. side of it, uh, in keeping with the product watch topic, um, we have a special limited edition product that uh, we have been working on during the off season yep. and, um, and designed and finally have, uh, they have been made. And they are on their way to our offices. I do have, I do have one sample, the, the sample that uh, we had made, which is basically this is what it's going to look like. But yeah, uh, you haven't shipped that to my house yet. No, it's staying right here, buddy. <laughs> right here. Um, but we uh, we decided to kind of dive into uh, some merchandise. Uh, yeah. Uh, this year, and uh, this was our first. Uh, um, you know, go at it uh, to see how, you know, to see how it was received and in keeping with sort of the rebranding of, of Flagstick and rebranding of the company and entering into some different things and making, we've had people who have asked about, you know, Flagstick branded product before, but mm-hmm. we just didn't want to kind of put stuff out there like our corporate stuff with our logo. Yeah, we've done some, we've done some hats before. Yeah. We did some sweaters and stuff back in the day, but it was mostly yeah. staff. I know that the the hats sold really really well back in the day. In fact, I yeah. still see people wearing. Yeah, the ones I know some from... some too faded, some a little yeah. more faded than others. It's always, always those ones where you see them are like, do I have a new hat I can give them to get that off their head? So we we went ahead and and um, and designed about six or eight different designs for a head cover. Um, and, uh, this is the, uh, for those watching, you'll be able to see this for those not watching and listening, you're going to have to go to the website to see it. But this is our, 
our new product. Uh, I like it. This, this is the uh, limited edition flagstick head cover. Uh, you'll see the new the new flagstick logo right here, um, and the new icon logo right here. Uh, cool. For those that are looking, you know, online. Um, now, here's the scoop with this right. head cover. There are very limited quantities of this available. We did not go mass produce, you know, two two thousand of these these head covers, uh, and you know, going to wear warehouse them up in my garage until it takes us. Uh, two years to sell them all through. Um, there are a very small, limited amount of these available. They are going to be selling on our website um, as uh, uh, we're going to be releasing these. I'm hoping that we're able to release these uh, um, at the time that this podcast is released, uh, that they'll be available on flagstick.com. And they're going to be selling for $49.95. Okay. And they're going to, that does not include taxes and shipping. Um, with taxes and shipping, it is going to be, uh, I, I believe, about $65, um, taxes and shipping included. And uh, right now, what we're going to be doing on the website is we're going to be taking pre-orders because uh, the uh, what we ordered has not arrived yet. They will be arriving very, very soon. Uh, and what we're hoping to do is with all the, when we receive all of the pre-orders, we're going to ship everything out by, hopefully by May the 15th. That's the uh, cool. So we've got basically about two weeks between now and um, only three weeks uh, between now and May 15th uh, to taking the pre-orders. So there's, like I said, there's not going to be that many available. Um, get your order in as quickly as possible. So if you visit flagstick.com, you'll see it right on the front page. We'll create a, uh, we'll create a spot where you can just click, go to the page, you fill out, there's a, there's a link there to a form that you have to fill out. It's basically a pre-order form. You fill out the pre-order form and then you will have to send, you'll have to e-transfer your, uh, your uh, uh, product cost, $65 yeah. to us. Um, and we're trying to, we're doing it all this way because this is a new, a new venture for us to dive into. We don't want to get into setting up a big e-store right now for the sake of one product. Because uh, then we're just starting to drive the cost of these products up and up and up. So we're trying to do it so that we can keep the these products inexpensive, um, yep. but still, um, it's a really nice product. It's it's a it's a synthetic leather. It's not real leather, but it looks very yep. much like real leather. It's going to last for a while. It's nice, a soft uh, soft um, uh, sort of velvet interior uh, to it to protect your club. Um, and a cool design too. Like I said, we went through about six or eight different designs. This is the one that we ended up picking that we liked the best. And, um, and so we had them made. So, yeah. you know, visit flagstick.com. You know, if you're interested in something like this, uh, there won't be very many of them available. Oh, act uh, quickly. Yeah. They'll, they'll go, they're going to go pretty quick, I think. Uh, yeah. We've had, we had, uh, we had a small quantity made uh, a few years ago just for our players yes. and our flagstick open tournament. And, you know, we had a great response to those. I still see them all over the place. So um, it's certainly been something that's been asked for for a while. Mm -hmm. Lots of people are certainly requesting merch, wondering, you know, what do we have? Do we have anything available? Uh, you know, nice and easy because, you know, a lot of people now obviously, uh, you know, neutral with their head covers. They like their head covers, they like to put something on their bag. But like you said, in making a little bit more limited edition, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, 
everybody is going to have one for sure. No. Uh, but, no. uh, you know, so if you do want one, you definitely have to get that pre-order in pretty quickly. Uh, I know I'm going to have to fill out that form pretty fast, right? Is that, is that, is that how, <laughs> this, how this works? <laughs> you can fill out the form if you like. I think, oh, okay. I think that, I, I think that we will kind of be able to look after ourselves a little bit. It is kind of awesome. important good, good that to we see. have one, but uh, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll try to hold one off for you. Just, just I appreciate they that. sell through yeah. pretty quick. So, all right. I appreciate um, it. So that's our shameless plug, I suppose this week on the show uh, on the podcast, but, um, but that wraps it up for us for, uh, for another, another episode of the, uh, of the flagstick podcast. You have to thank, uh, Thank our sponsors, Metcalf Golf, uh, Golf Sim Gurus, Greensmere Golf and Country Club, Kevin Heem Golf School, uh, and of course, our presenting sponsor, TaylorMade Golf Canada. Check out the new stealth line of golf equipment at taylormadegolf.ca, and welcome to the Carbon Wood Age. Hopefully, uh, you're enjoying everything that you're hearing and watching uh, on, on the podcast. Be sure to follow us across all of the social media networks, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Audible, and uh, judging from the continued popularity Apple Podcasts yep. um, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel lots of stuff on the YouTube channel that you obviously do not see on the audio version um, make sure that you uh, you like us, click on that notification bell to make sure you never miss a single episode when it drops get over to flagstick.com as always more amazing content there and pre-order your flagstick limited edition flagstick head cover uh, great content delivered there on flagstick.com every single day uh, once again so sad that it has to end but it'll happen again next week i am jeff Potter, and i'm scott mcleod always remember go for the stick